This is the Summit Life Ministries audio experience. Everybody, welcome back to the Age Changer Show brought to you by Summit Life Ministries. My name is David Furrow. This is my dad, Lynn Furrow. We are missing uh, my mom today, but she had some other duties. So, dad, you're going to have to just deal with me. (laughs) So She had to homeschool her daughter today. And so I guess we are not her priority, um, <laughs> I guess not. but we will miss her, but we're going to have a great time in the Lord as well. For sure. Uh, but like we always say, our mission here at Summit Life is to elevate, equip, and empower. Elevate the church's vision to see our identity in Christ through God's eternal purpose. Equip believers to live with an eternal perspective as they passionately pursue their upward call in Christ, but then also empower believers to live supernatural lifestyles in faith-filled obedience. Now, Dad, we have been talking about breaking the addiction to time. This is going to be part three, actually, of breaking it. So it's been kind of a little longer uh, series here. But as we talked about yesterday in the last episode, we talked about what, you know, prevents us from embracing change. And, uh, you know, we talked about how traditions preserve, but they also can prevent us from moving forward. That's right. And we are in a series called Age Changers, and slowly but surely we've been walking through because we're wanting to set good foundations of where we're going. And one of the first teachings that we gave is we talked about the high cost of a lack of change and embracing growth processes in the Christian life. And now we're wanting to really zero in, and this is the third in that set of teachings about what prevents us from changing. So we have talked a little bit on how culture is created and then how traditions uh, form from culture. And they help us celebrate milestones, milestones of survival. Uh, They help us uh, remember how far God has brought us from. Traditions aren't bad, David, and and I want to reemphasize that. Matter of fact, there are apostolic traditions, Paul said that, that have been handed down. Uh, One of the clearest instructions that Paul gave Timothy, he said, Timothy, I want you to take the things that you've received from me, and I want you to commit that to faithful men who will in turn pass that on to um, other generations. So we believe that the gospel and what we've been taught in the Lord continues to build precept on precept, line upon line. And so, however, those traditions, those celebrations of milestones, those things that help us remember, if we're not careful, they can take on a life of their own. And actually, after a while, we forget why we're even doing it. Mm-hmm. It's like spiritual muscle memory. Yeah. And we don't even know where it originated, why we're doing it, the way we're doing it. And so then it is sustained, not by the Spirit. There's no life of the Spirit in it. It just is a form of godliness. It looks good. It looks godly. But actually, it's a form that's devoid of the Spirit's life. It's devoid of power. And so where I just want to finish the review is that when we begin to be so past-oriented and we we are looking back in our spiritual life and we're not allowing the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of hope, to create an anticipation 
and a vision for the future of where God wants to take the church. It's like driving, looking through the rearview mirror. It's like trying to drive forward. And it really slows the the progress and the pace of the church down because I don't know if you've ever tried to do do that, drive while looking through the rearview mirror. It's not bad to every now and then glance to see what's behind you, beside of you, using your mirrors. But obviously, if you did that, you are going to run into something um, because you're not looking forward. And so... Uh, you have to slow down to prevent yourself from running into sharp objects. <laughs> uh, and that's a little attempt to, of being humorous. So what we see today is that, and when I talk about the church, I need to clarify that. I'm not talking about maybe your local expression, or I'm not talking about necessarily your denomination. I'm talking about the big C church, the, the church universal, the church around the world. And these are large statements. They're general statements. But if you are convicted by what I'm saying, more than likely, uh, it's hitting a spiritual nerve in your heart. And so we just say, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we can either harden our heart towards that, to where we, we don't feel what the Holy Spirit is wanting us to feel, of the weight of a conviction. He's causing us to see something that maybe we've grown grown dull to. Uh, So what we want to do is instead of just reject it or harden our heart against it, we need to embrace it and say, Holy Spirit, if, if I become so traditional, if I become so resistant to change, am I driving my spiritual life looking in the rear view mirror? Then the Lord may want to shift my focus and turn me away from um, maybe how things have become institutionalized and preserved to where it's routinized and routine and ritualized to where God moves us into faith-filled obedience, where there's always risk and trust involved because where God is taking us is in a place that we've never been before. It may be unknown to us. It may feel unsafe. But it's very important for us to walk by faith. The just shall live by their faith. And so our greatest value cannot be preservation. Because we know if if our ultimate value is preservation, then it leads to prevention. Prevention of growth and prevention of us uh, being transformed through growth processes. So what would you say then is one of the church's greatest value that we can have to can continue to grow then? Yeah, great question. I think one of the greatest values that we have to embrace is uh, a value of having a meekness and teachability in being able to receive from the Lord. Um, Mary, you know, as a teenage girl, had an angelic encounter, and that angel, Gabriel, had a weighty and a profound word for that young lady. Mm-hmm. And that word was grid-blowing. She, she had no reference point to reference to make her feel comfortable with that word that God was giving her. It was a word of interruption yep. of the normal course and pattern of her life. 
And when he said, the, the Holy Spirit, you're highly favored of God, that's the part of the word that all of us would readily receive. We would have said, yes, I want to be highly favored by God. But because she had been favored by God, and God in his heart towards her had chosen her for a unique destiny and purpose, here was this very risky, uh, weighty, disruptive word that the angel had for her. And he said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. You've not known a man. She said that. She goes, how can this be? I've never known a man. But he said, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and you are going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. And, and what? The one that you're going to give birth to is going to be the Son of God. And I appreciate what she did. She didn't say, why me? Why are you doing this to me, God? She inquired for further wisdom. Uh, she inquired for further understanding. And she said, how can this be since I've never known a man? But she was receptive to what the angel said. Yeah. Because at the end of that angelic encounter, she said, let it be done unto me according to your word. To me, one of the greatest earmarks of maturity. And, and you know, we want to say, well, what is it like to be a mature Christian? What What is the, the earmarks? What are the indicators? How do I know that I'm progressing uh, in my growth in Christ? It's not necessarily frenetic activity. Yeah. There are a lot of believers that are busy, busy doing things, but they're not very mature in the Lord. Um, to me, one of the greatest indicators of maturity is our willingness to receive not just what we want to hear, but all that God wants to speak to us. Yeah. Now, I want us to look at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter five. And again, we're focusing on what prevents us from changing and being transformed and prevents us from embracing the growth processes that God has for us to gain maturity. And this is what we call the parable of the wine and the wineskin. It's both. It's not just the parable of the of the wineskin, but it's of the wine and the wineskin. And I'm going to read it very carefully uh, in verse 36, or I'm going to read the total parable. It says, He also told them a parable, No one tears a piece from a new garment, puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. 37. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is better. So again, I said that if our premium value is preservation, it immediately eliminates God being able to do something new in us. Mm -hmm. Because he said, and there are three primary truths that are taught in the parable of the wine, the wineskin. New wine must be put into a new wineskin. Because the, the wineskin has to have a flexibility, an ability to expand and to grow 
as that wine goes through a fermentation process. In other words, when God does something in us, it may come to us in seed form, but the kingdom, as it as we receive the word of God, it goes with inside of us, and that word begins to mature. It begins to expand. It begins to grow. God's not going to speak to us something so overwhelming that we would just run away from it. So normally what he does is he keeps us on a need-to-know basis. He will let us know enough where we're not terrorized by it, so overwhelmed by fear and intimidation. So it normally comes in a seed form. But in the seed, it has spiritual DNA, the DNA of God that begins to expand. Well, our institutions, our forms, our, our structures must have the ability based on vision, based on uh, a number of factors that allows God to be able to work within that so there is an, a, a growth, an internal growth of the kingdom within inside of us. He works within us, his will, and the ability to do his pleasure. But then there comes this kingdom expression from in us, outside of us. That means what is in us is going to grow and it's going to be expressed and come from us. So new wine's got to go into new wine skins. But he also said this, when we partake of that which is new, normally we don't prefer it. Yeah. We, we you know, Jesus said, uh, we prefer the old wine better. Why? Because that's what our palate is used to. That's what is normal to us. That's what we feel comfortable with. And so God is really challenging the church to present to him a flexible wineskin in this hour so that we can receive that which is new. Maturity is based upon receptivity, but we have to present a heart that is open for change, open for God to grow us and mature us in him. So if we're talking about the wineskin and you know, our wineskin for today, but also what God has for us. You know, what are those elements of that new wineskin? What would make up a new wineskin? Yeah. Well, to me, there's three things that uh, when I when I look at the church and the essential elements that would allow us to have flexibility and growth, mm-hmm. I think it's our vision. Um, and so many times the church gets captivated by the wineskin and not the new wine. Yeah. Okay? So our vision has to be Christ himself. I said this in one of the earlier episodes. Jesus is the pattern, the mold, the model for the church, not the church. So if there are spiritual leaders and pastors that are listening to this, be careful of the danger of following models. Because the model that may be working in a a certain location with a certain leader, that's what the Spirit of God has spoken to him. And he's building according to to the grace of God that is working in that locality, in that geographical will of God for that that man or that team. But you try to adopt that model and put it in your locale with the grace of God that works through you. And that model may not be successful. But if you will make Christ 
your pattern, you will be successful everywhere you go, no matter what you do. The second thing, so it's it's our vision. I love when Paul was giving a defense of the gospel uh, to one of the governors. Uh, he, he exclaimed this. He said, I have been obedient to the heavenly vision. Yeah. I, I love Paul's apostolic passion, but I love his commitment to lay as a foundation everywhere he went, Christ himself the hope of glory. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is, is that as we are allowing Christ to be the head of his church and we're receiving instruction from him and growing up, there's going to be a, an expression of Christ-like values that come through the people. But but vision and values are only as powerful as the people are willing to embrace them. Yeah, Because we can have a great vision and we can say that here are our stated values, but it's the people that actualize those values, embrace them, live them out in a daily lifestyle that allows the people of God to truly present a wineskin to the Lord. So vision, values, values that are actualized, but the quality of the people that are willing to sacrificially, because they're living a value-driven lifestyle and a vision-driven lifestyle. It's not easy. Yeah. I mean, there is a high cost because that's not where the majority of the crowd is going and flowing. Yeah. We we pursue paths of least resistance. <laughs> and if you pursue Christ, there is going to be resistance. Yeah. If you uh, uh, pursue kingdom values, a kingdom value system, and a kingdom lifestyle... That's going to be resisted by not only people, but against principalities and powers because they're threatened by you because they know that you're an age changer. You are going to shift the atmosphere and the environment where you're in because you are saying, let the kingdom come, let his will be done in the earth where you live just like it is in heaven. Your bar is that you want your benchmark is that you want just like it is in heaven, realities in your life, in your family, in your community, and and in the region where you live. So we will stop there. (laughs) We're going to have to pick this up (laughs) next week because I know uh, tomorrow tomorrow is our question and answer time. So there's one more thing I want to teach on about breaking our addiction to time. Okay, so there'll be a part four. Thank you, everybody, for uh, being with us today. If you want to find out more about Summit Life or just view more of our content, you can see us at summitlifeministries.com. Check out our YouTube. If you're watching this, you're probably watching it on YouTube, but make sure you subscribe. If you have questions, tomorrow, like you said, is our question and answer show, so make sure you put your questions in the comments or make sure you get those uh, questions direct message to us. Um, Guys, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Like I already said, subscribe to our a YouTube, but that it was a great uh, day today. Appreciate you sharing with us. And I know we got one more day with question yeah. and answers, but it's been a good it's week a good of week. great yep. uh, time in the Word. And and I just want to let everybody know, I want to say thank you. Yes. Uh, we've already gotten some great feedback and responses uh, as we we're in to week two. Thank you for your encouragement. It lets us know uh, that what we're doing. 
uh, is making an impact. And that's what we wanted to do, make an impact for the kingdom. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, guys. And again, uh, get your questions to us. But thank you, guys, and God bless. Have a great day. What's up, everybody? This is Josh Furrow from the Summit Life Ministries team. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and have a blessed week.